Hey, hey, welcome back to the Raising Young Achievers podcast. I'm your host, Sharia Woods, and I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we're having a conversation with Chantel Jones-Bigby, and we're talking about micro schools, pod learning. You may remember from the pandemic when all of our kids were at home and we were teaching them at home, some moms started forming pods where they were like, okay, this is too much for me to take on alone. So let me team up with some other moms and we can come together and educate our kids. And this idea was not unique to the pandemic. People had been doing this before the pandemic started. And now that so many have been exposed to this as an option is something that you just really can't unsee. And Chantel's baby actually started school after the pandemic, but she didn't love what she experienced and she knew she wanted something different for her. And so we're going to talk through today her journey of forming a pod with two other like-minded moms and then forming Black Lotus Mothers, which is an initiative helping other Black moms looking for the right learning environment for their children. I think you're really going to take a lot from this one. Whether you decide homeschooling or forming a pod or a micro school is right for you, or if you're going to continue navigating the education system, but you just need a little validation that, hey, I'm not crazy and I need to be on top of things and making sure that my child is getting what they need from their education experience. So with that, let's dive right in. Well, hey, Chantel, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited about this Black Lotus Mothers initiative that you have and so curious about it. First, just give us like the 30,000 foot. What are you working on? What is this Black Lotus Mothers? What is what is your mission? Oh, um, so many things, but it's really centered around the needs of Black mothers and what keeps us up at night. And most of the time, that is our babies, right? All mothers are always thinking about our babies, but there's something about when your child enters the, the school age season of their life, that eyes just open, right? And it just adds another layer of, I don't know about you, but motherhood has just activated my activism within me to say my child is priority. What does my child need? And especially being in the education space where we see data all of the time around low achievement for Black children. And once your kid gets in that system and you start seeing how it is impacting them, it's another level. So um, Black Lotus Mothers was uh, created out of necessity to solve some of these issues, like I said, that keeps us up at night, particularly around my child and children in our community of just not having a education system, an option that we felt like yielded excellence for our children to thrive. Um, and so personally, that's what activated all of this. Of just a few mothers in our same district and area that we were all early into this journey and just like these, our community schools are, are failing Black children. What are we supposed to do? And particularly for myself, you know, what does a mother do, Sharia, when you see them losing their joy for learning? You see them shrinking in class. You see them needing some personalized attention, but not able to get it, right? And out of necessity, we didn't have any options, so we had to create it. And so that's when we formed a learning pod. Actually, this semester kicked into high gear, convening with a couple other moms in the community to say, we're just going to have to figure this out. And that's what we have been doing to date and supporting other families, especially Black mothers and their journey, too, of navigating this process. And if, if they're in a position like we were that needs to create something, 
and create that sense of community to support all of our children's education, then that's what we're doing. I love it. I love it. That resonates with me so much because as my son, Sean, started school, that was the same realization I came to of like, they're working to get all the students to baseline, right? So then I started learning about all the things people were doing outside of school to supplement their kids' education. And I was like, oh, you know, that's where the real learning is happening. If you're pushing for excellence for your kid, what has to happen outside to make it happen? So I love what you guys said. You were like, forget it. We're just going to go ahead and start our own school. So I'm curious to know like how functionally this works. I had a podcast before called The Rise Society and I had someone on there who did homeschooling, which is also like going outside of the system, but you're doing it all by yourself. What I like about what you guys are doing is it's more of a coalition. And so I'm wondering like, how does that work day to day? Like, is there one parent who's in charge and they don't have a full-time job? This is why, you know, inequities in this world don't support the idea of perception of homeschooling, right? Because initially, one of my friends now who's part of our co-op and learning pod, she was the first one to actually say, hey, I can't find a school. Would you ever consider homeschooling? And we just kind of buddy up and partner up. And my first response was, heck no, girl, I can't do that. But that was based on the perception that I had. And social media hasn't helped, Sharia, where if you think of this homeschooling mother being primarily Caucasian, it becomes this luxury and privilege where you're baking all day, no one has to work. So that was the idea that I had in my mind of saying, absolutely not, because one, I have to work full time and I don't see how I can do this. But when I tell you I could not sleep for a good month, just knowing that my child probably would benefit from a smaller learning environment and something similar to homeschooling, but I don't know how to make it work. So I might just have to keep my child in a space where I know she's not going to be served best. That is heartbreaking. So there was no outline for this. Um, If you remember, I think we started seeing the concept of learning pods happening during COVID. Yeah, I do remember that. It was forcing people to get creative because we all did have to work. And so we've just kind of pulled from going back to that season of necessity of just needing to model community care and support. And so we, it's three of us and we each take a day, just one day a week. And once a month, you have two days just to, to balance it out. And Fridays are typically our enrichment day or field trips or project-based learning opportunities where the the children just get to choose what excites them. And that just keeps their spirit going. So that's how we make it work. We're all working mothers. (laughs) And so, you know, the biggest thing has been decolonizing what we know education to be, right? And so that has made it so much more feasible that our children are not getting eight hours worth of poor learning every day. Our children are not designed at this at this age, even adults, to sit at a desk all day, right? And so we've had to reimagine um, what this process and journey looks like. So just dedicating two, three hours, you know, and it doesn't have to all happen at, at one time, even maximizing evenings and weekends. So again, it's just kind of what needs to work for our families and how we can all chip in. And on days where I have a heavy workload, the other moms will kind of help balance out. So again, you know, a lot of people keep telling me this is just so innovative. And I thought so too at first, but this is how it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's like a this village, like a community. It used 
to be, but we've just got so far removed from it, generations removed from it. So I don't know if that kind of helps explain, but that's how it we helps. Make it. I'm like, I got more questions though. Yeah, girl, please. Okay. So on these, so on your day, so your mm-hmm. Monday, you're still working. Like, how does yes. this work? The, the parents, the other moms bring the kids to your house on that day. And then you have space set up, like, give us the walk through the rundown of like what yeah. a typical so, day you looks know, like. I initially took off some time the first month just to get oriented, right? And really acclimating Addison to working with me based on my work day. So we had a good month before we all started where I was testing out different platforms to figure out her learning style what would keep her engaged? What were some things that could give her some independent time so that when I did have chunks of just focused meeting work, then she could somewhat be independent. And so we kind of had our girls already ready and trained for that. And so on my day, I already have my lessons planned for them, but they also have autonomy, right? To be able to say, are we feeling math or are we feeling reading? Where do you want to start? You So you get to choose. So I've realized that when they have some ownership, there is little to no need to be this caretaker, right? Or this teacher per se. They are guiding so much of their day and able to do a lot independently. And then I'll just jump in to honor some direction or offer some direction. And so we model a concept called, we're not teachers. <laughs> we're taking off those hats, right? We are guides. We are learning guides. We are there to support their journey and having tools and resources like Khan Academy, Time for Learning, to be able to support their their progress through all of this. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you're kind of coaching them and you have, they're all three of the kids are girls. Yes. So I wonder about that because I have a yes. boy uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm yes. like, I don't know if he would be as focused. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a stereotype or what, but I feel like I have a boy and a girl. Yeah. Completely different. Ava can sit with her crayon and color. Sean's bouncing off the walls. Yeah. Um, so have you heard any pods that have like boys? Do you have any peers that you guys have talked to to know like how that works in that situation? Yeah, almost each week so far, I have other, especially black mothers that are um in dire situations, Sharia, of their schools not in some private, charter public, it didn't matter that was not supporting their black boys. And so I do think that that's a dedicated conversation that we do need to have around black boys and just what does it look like to serve them. And our day may look different, right? Uh, We just know that boys got to get their energy out. So if I'm balancing my work day, there's just time to be able to do that. But they also just naturally want to also have ownership and autonomy. So what does that look like to get them to still choose or make them feel like they're running something, you know, but that energy and space to do it. And even our girls are always moving. So I don't see much of a difference, right? When we say focus, focus does not mean sitting down, military stance, or, you know, you could be, sometimes they're they're hanging off a chair doing math, you know? But they're children. That's what they're supposed, they're supposed to be moving their body. Yeah. Um, so again, this is about decolonizing what we know and think learning should look like. And if it's him playing outside and run into the math problem to solve, you know, skip counting or whatever <laughs> it is, then let's let's figure that out. But we do notice too that the the gender dynamic 
um, has helped <laughs> with, with focus. Because yeah, I'm, I'm like, you guys don't want Sean. I'm like, y'all up the street, so I'm trying to sign up for this pod, but I don't think I you guys want and my it's son like in the balance. And I know some other boys too, but I wouldn't want him to be the only one. But <laughs> yeah, I think it would be amazing. I think it would be so amazing. No, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Because I mean, during the pandemic, you were able to kind of get a window into like, this is how much learning is actually happening during the school day. And then there are all these other enrichment things that are going on, which are great too. But it's like, if you're pulling out the schooling part, maybe there's not that much extra. And I know for me, I'm doing so much supplementing outside of school anyway. I'm like, he's almost going to school twice after we do like Kumon and we're doing Khan Academy too. Mm -hmm. So curious to hear how your kids have been responding to that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So tell us about like the the platforms you're using and the enhancements to that point that like a lot of parents, their kids are still in traditional school, but they're needing to supplement and the tools that you're using may be helpful to them as well. Yeah. Well, this has honestly been the hardest area for me and I wasn't able to really maximize some of these tools until I removed Addison and I'll primarily it was because Shreya she was getting to a point of being so disinterested that by the time she got home it was just burnout you know to do the extra thing right um her confidence also plummeted I've just been rebuilding So a lot of the tools I've been using, it's really around allowing this to be a season for me to be a student to her and the other children, right? And for her to learn herself as well and just to rebuild what confidence looks like. So we have used Me Academy, Time for Learning. We've recently just started on, on Khan Academy. And there's another tool because I also have a tutoring agency that I work with just to make sure you know, I'm doing the appropriate things and helping me to learn how to explain different topics. So all of those have been really good, but also just, I noticed too, in, in doing some research, we have to be careful with balancing too much technology and they just, a good, I use spectrum work. I find a lot of things, even online of knowing where is she in her learning process and I'll find things tailored to where she is. You know, so between workbooks and just project-based activities and then supplementing with the tutor and Khan Academy and Time for Learning, that has, and lots of app games, you know, that's been really beneficial for us. How do you guys think about tracking the progress of your kids? Like one of the things that I'm most disturbed by in the way that the schools work now is the grading uh, because they will give these kids like you know, you failed. And I'm like, these kids are eight. Like the idea that you're having to deal with that level of harsh feedback so young. It's like, I understand that they want to communicate with the parents. They want them to know like where your kid is, you need to improve, but it just feels like there could be a much more affirming way to go about that. And I really love what Khan Academy has done with their mastery framework Mm -hmm. and like how Mm -hmm. they're encouraging the kids of like, if you only get one question right, or you don't get any question right, it says you attempted And so it's a very affirming way to say, maybe you don't understand this yet, but you tried and we're going to honor that and acknowledge that. So I'm curious, like, how do you guys think about balancing wanting to create that affirming environment, but then also wanting to ensure that your kids are learning um, and kind of on grade level or making the progress that they need to make to be, if they ever do want to re-enter a traditional school environment, making sure they're on track for that. Absolutely. Well, let me say this this has just been amazing to 
witness how early anxiety starts based off of the stimulation, right? And the concept of failing and being interpreted as a failure. At five, my daughter began to notice that, right? And that is what sparked her, her confidence just to go out the window. So much so that she didn't want to engage. So after seeing that, I'm not thinking about grade, right? I've seen other, you know, alternative avenues of education, you know, just ask the question. And I've even asked the, the, the girls this, how would you tell your parents, how would you show them that you, you've learned something? If you couldn't get, if I couldn't mark, because they, they're so still, you know, up on, did I get it right? Did I get 100% or did I get an F? At six and seven now. And so I asked them, how would you, what is a way that you can tell your parents when you're away from home with them and you're doing school, how do they know whether you're learning or not? And you, you know what they said? We'll show them. I love it. And so that's how, that's how we do it, Sharia, right? Is that you, we, we have milestones to know when we introduce the subject, you were aware of this right? And constantly having check-ins because they get so defeated so fast, right? And I have to even remind my daughter of this is, this is, this is what progress looks like. And it's never too early to start setting goals. So she has a goal that she says she wants to learn to read and she wants to feel confident about reading. So every day when we're doing our practice, we have a lot of catching up to do still with, you know, COVID learning loss that she sees and she feels that, right? So we don't worry about grades. We just show, can you show proof? What does proof look like? Can you model it? Can you articulate it, right? And that's, that's how we measure it. I love it. So how do you guys think about it as a coalition? Do you guys have like meetings with you and the other moms? I'm like, this is what we're going to teach this week. Or does each mom have their own learning plan? And it's like, okay, here's my child's learning plan. We have kind of have a, a general cadence of what we're focused on for the week. But we also have understanding of what our areas of concentration are, right? And so we know that early literacy is high priority right now. Learn to read, then by third grade, they will begin to read to learn, right? So we also are focused on math and writing and just confidence building and character development. So that leaves us a lot of room to focus more and more time on, on those couple of areas. And we also just play off of our strengths. So we have one mother who is a former English language arts teacher. So she definitely helps to give us a baseline, but then we've also began to create individualized learning plans to figure out this child is taking off in reading. And so there's also no concept of grade. So if she's showing that she's passed this material for first grade, then let's, let's keep giving her second and third grade material for reading and first grade for, for math. And then we check in each week as well, too, and we have a feedback sheet of saying, what were they strong in that day? And we can have honest conversations of saying, I noticed when I'm supporting Addison with X, Y, and Z, this is how she's responding. What is a good tactic or strategy for me to be able to connect with her, right? And so at this point, parent engagement is an absolute necessity to be able to allow for each of us to be able to support their children. And again, we couldn't do this if it was a class of 28 kids, Sharia, right? right? So there's there's that component that makes all of that possible. 
Yeah, but I have seen versions of this. I mean, not probably to the level of specificity that you guys were able to do with three kids, but I've heard about like math departments at high schools where they'll pull together all the math teachers and go through and like, okay, these kids have red flags, what's going on? And then somebody will say like, oh, I had this student last year and like, this is what they were struggling with. And so I think there are ways that campuses can be more intentional. Um, and we see models of it happening Absolutely. some places, but it's just like, how do you get that to be the norm? How do you convince the people who are making the budgeting decisions yeah. to invest to the level that the teachers and the staff can actually have that intentional time to be able to I really know. support the I students? Know. And that, that's why I'm hoping for a day that you know, we'll be able to host more design time with, with educators that are in these public systems because we know scale-wise, we still need our public education system to work. We need it to work well and we need it to work for our Black children, right? Mm -hmm. And if something different is going to have to happen. If 84% of our kids are not proficient in math mm -hmm. and 89 are not proficient in reading, you're mm -hmm. in fact, that is a core tragedy that needs some dedicated time and resources allocated for it. So I think that, you know, as much as I would love to walk three minutes to drop my kid off at school. <laughs> it sounds so beautiful. Like, oh, just drop them off and it's I fine. I would love to do it as much as I would love to see our, you know, community schools thriving and even the educators being fully supported in the way that they deserve. We got a lot of work to do and I can't wait on them to fix it. Not with my baby. I cannot. I think none of us can wait on this to happen. And so until then, we are learning and, and unlearning too, Sharia. You know, we're, we're trying. So I love it. And it's in the thing that has been most, I think, disturbing to me about really seeing the way that things work is... I guess a fuller understanding of how much potential we're leaving on the table because these elementary years are so critical. Yeah. The way that they've changed the curriculum and they've pushed down algebra and geometry and all these things and they're laying the foundation for the entire education experience. And so the kids who get it in elementary school and are able to master these concepts, they're going to be like rocket ships, right? Yeah. But then the kids that don't, it's going to be like, oh, something's, you know, you're not good at math. You don't know yeah. how to do math. When really it's like, if they had had more encouragement and support and like coaching along the journey, they could, we could have scientists, we could have all, you know, engineers, Absolutely. but they just don't have the exposure and support. And I think as a society, people look at it on the back end and they're like, oh, well, some kids are college material and some kids are not. Right. And it's like, well, maybe we haven't prepared them. Yeah, They could be amazing at learning. And, and you just see their little spirits die. My son, he tells me stories about, you know, kids at school. And, you know, on one hand, I'm like, man, this kid is causing a lot of trouble. But on the other hand, I'm like, man, this kid needs some help. Like, yeah. I wish I, I knew his mom. I wish I could like talk to him and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, how can we... Because you know where the road is going to lead if you don't we get a do. handle on it. And we we know we know this, right? So this is why I'm just, you know, I'm I am affirming that we will not miss this moment in the universe to think about revolutionary change, right? And even for, you know, we talked about our black boys, right? Of just we know that 
many of our institutions are pipelines for paths to everything but success, you know? And there has been, you know, many conversations around how our prisons predict their populations based off of third grade achievement and reading. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can even see that, you know, a child doesn't drop out of school at 12th grade. Like they have dropped out by third grade Day mentally. Before. They have disengaged. And so, you know, I know we talk, we've been talking a lot about the academic side, Sharia, but it is bigger than that. Mm. Right. Like our children are not holistically well. I just had a conversation with the executive director over a children's therapy organization here in the area. And she has mentioned that, you know, the, the spectrum has teetered now from it used to be high school age students were the most self-harming. And now it is transcended down into elementary school. Like. Mm. This is this is the reality of our children are attempting to take their lives. Mm. They are self-harming themselves. Emotionally, they are not well, right? And so when we talk about education, as a Black mother, I'm thinking about academic achievement, yes. But most importantly, I want to know that they are emotionally well, mentally well and supported, And so we are even cultivating a safe environment for that to happen, right? Where, you know, a Black child doesn't get many chances to have a bad day in a public system anywhere. Mm -hmm. You don't get to have a bad day. One bad day will change the trajectory of your life, Mm -hmm. right? And they are getting labeled. Exactly. Labeled or getting into the system off of just one mistake. We've got a, a lot of work to do around recultivating what safe education spaces look like. Yeah, that really resonates with me. We have this little graphic that we ordered and I can put it in the show notes if people are interested in it, but it's like a culturally relevant emotional chart. And so mm-hmm. mine has black boys, but she has a black girl one and they have like the emotions on their face mm-hmm. and then the names of like confused, angry, and you know, stressed or whatever the different emotions yeah. that the, the author put on there. And what we started doing during homework time is when Sean starts spiraling and getting like frustrated, I'll pull out the chart and say, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And that has been so interesting to me because sometimes like I think is some, you know, I'm like, oh, he just doesn't want to do his homework, but he'll start circling emotions. And then he'll start telling me about like what happened at school that day or, you know, what what is hurting him or how he's jealous because his little sister is watching TV and he has to do homework. So it just gives him space, I think, to voice some of what he's thinking. But, you know, still there's so many emotions that he's going through. And I mean, our home is, you know, it's safe. Like we try to make it as trauma-free as possible. So I can only imagine for kids that don't have that type of environment too, and you're having all these big emotions, like, how do we think about addressing that There's for them? so much going on in their bodies, even in high school. So many emotions. And where has there ever been a class to learn how to regulate, right? When is there a class to learn how to know what's happening in your body, right? And how to get back into your body and how to censor yourself. I'm trying to learn that at almost 40 years old, you <laughs> know? And so part of this is, We are not trying to recreate the school that we know or the education system that we know. 
we are trying to hold space to re-envision what is a system that we have never seen that we have always needed, right? And many of that, much of that is even just starting our day with grounding and gratitude. And that's what our girls do, right? It's just a good practice um, to get, to be conscious, to get back into their bodies, uh, to set the tone and pace for their day, um, to affirm even their words, right? And just knowing that all things are energy. And so that's been liberating to just, hold space for that but it is a it's a necessity for sure I love it I love it so tell me about what you're doing with other moms outside of your pod yeah it's evolving but we've started to just hold space for each other to talk about what's happening in reference to education for our black children to also get informed politically and civically of what's happening a big thing that was going on recently was the conversations around ESAs And so we held a time to actually, can we talk about this? Can we come together and say, you know what? I actually want to learn more, you know? And so that's what that meeting was for. What are Um, ESAs? That is the education savings account. Oh, yes, yes. Yep. So, you know, that was in special session. Yeah, that was a tricky one because for parents like us that are going through this transition of like, do I need to pull my kid out of school? Then it sounds yeah. like if I could have $7,000 to kind of help supplement exactly. that. But exactly. then on the other side, you know, this is there's this undercurrent where they're trying to defund the public schools and then the, the kids that don't have parents to support them or enrich right. or drive them to this private school. Right. Then they are just left with nothing. Yeah. So that was a big conversation, right? That I think that many of us, especially that have distrusted politics, have disengaged. But again, something about motherhood, you know, that has made me ask bigger questions. And part of that even was around the ESA to say, okay, you know what, maybe instead of me just listening to rhetoric, maybe I should just inquire more and say, what is this? What is the bill? Let me read through this. Actually, we even got a call from Austin to come and meet with our state legislators and senators. Wow. We had quite a bit of advocacy time to share our stories that have changed, Sharia, because I used to be anti-ESA, vouchers, whatever you want to call them. But it was just because I just, Black people said we will mess with that. They trying to defund, right? And so I just <laughs> left it alone. But then when I started realizing this system isn't supporting, it isn't supporting my child. Like I need some other options. She needs something different. What am I supposed to do? And how expensive even that is to put additional resources into getting your child what they need. We held space for that conversation. So that's where I spend quite a bit of my advocacy time is when mothers reach out saying, I love what you're doing. I would love to do this. I need some help. I just don't know where to go. Then I've started just knowing what people are in different towns and helping support building their own learning pot too. So essentially, that's the other piece of Black Lotus Mothers. I love that. And I, you know, the idea of giving parents more ownership in what they're doing with the funds that are available is really interesting to me. I remember hearing the commissioner of TEA talking about the money that they had set aside during the pandemic for tutoring. Mm -hmm. And the legislature was questioning him like, well, have you gotten enough tutors? And have you made these opportunities? And he was like, it's just too hard for us to find quality tutors for every student 
But then in my mind, I'm like, well, just give us the money. Like I could take them down the street to Kumon or Sylvan or any of these private companies or do like what you guys are doing and maybe, you know, buy some of my own time back, right. have a half day off where I can work with my kid and put them in Khan Academy or whatever. Exactly. So use us like we're here. But then you're like, oh, we can't spend the money. Like we don't have, there's no way for us to figure out how to do this. And yeah, it, we're it's just outside. It's too big of a problem for one system to figure out. Mm -hmm. It's too big. And so that's what made me so curious about the ESAs is just noticing that we need a system of education that can be diverse, you know, for mm -hmm. some people especially in rural towns, their community school is the, the backbone of what they have and it may be working well for them. And in other areas, especially urban cities, I just want an option. You know what I'm saying? And I think that as, especially as communities of color that have so little power, not having options is the, the core of that, right? I'm just being powerless and hopeless. Mm -hmm. um, so at least empowering parents to say, you know what, no one knows your child better than you do. No one knows what is better for your child than you do. And so you make that choice of what your child needs. And here's some resources to being able to do that. Because there are many families that have always had options. Mm -hmm. I've always had choice. Yeah, you never right? think about until you're in the situation, like how much of a privilege it is to be able to pull your kid out if you're like, this is unsafe. This is like, even in the district that we're in, we have a school of choice model. And so they say, oh, well, you can go to any school in the, right. the region, but right. you got to be able to drop your kid off at eight o'clock. You got to be able to pick them up at three 30. Exactly. You got to be able to drive across town and have the gas and the transportation to do that. There's so many elements and a of mental that. Toll too, Sharia. I mean, that was the biggest reason where I said, this ain't going to work. That ain't going to work for us. I mm -hmm. cannot even hop across city lines twice a day. And, you know, naturally my child does not thrive well getting up at 6, 530, 6 a.m. You know, mm -hmm. she, it just does, does not work. So yeah, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel like your child is safe, how do we think about that? Um, so I'm so excited about what you guys are doing and the idea of a pod and just reimagining education because we can't wait. We can't wait for the government or the schools or whoever else to figure out how to fix this while our kids are just languishing um, in the system. No, we, we don't have, and, and to be, to be honest, we've given them 50 years to figure this out, plenty of time to figure this out. And in a matter of a semester or a year, that makes a, a huge impact. So, you know, I am, I don't, you know, shy away from the fact that I am very much privileged to be able to do this, but that could all change tomorrow, you know, if I have that flexibility or not. But there is nothing more debilitating than knowing that your child needs something that you can't provide. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're really heavily advocating around education choice and options and saying, listen, you know, community schools, we want to work with you because this, even a micro school model alone, is it's an option, but is it scalable, right? <laughs> to be able to- I wonder about that. that though. When you were telling me about what you were working on, I was like, well, could this be like a, a small charter school? Like, would you have any ambition to test it know. out? Maybe a hundred kids or 150 Ooh, kids girl. with- 
I don't know. You know, I, everyone keeps asking me what the vision is, you know, and I would love to see what we're doing scale to be able to support more children while still keeping, you know, the, the pod concept, because that's where the true transformation happens is in that, that small group, that individual attention, that learner led model. That would be amazing, right? But that takes resources. It takes time. I know for sure we would have the families, but then there's this, you know, the business side of it too, Sharia, is the cost to do this thing. And so we've, we've definitely thought about, is this a private school? You know, how do we sustain ourselves? And many, you know, families or individuals that are, ed- you know, th- there's a tuition model attached to it that becomes kind of pricey. And then I go back to the same challenge that I had of, I can't put my kid in a 2000 tuition pool, you know, or we don't want to create economic barriers for families to be able to access quality models of excellent education. All of those things is what we're sitting with right now is how do we say yes to other families that are wanting to join and make this more sustainable, not only for our children, but for our other community families. Yeah. And I wonder about just like the volunteerism model that you guys are already leveraging. Like if you were to create a school where parents were like, I will take one day a month and I'm going to come in and just help, you know, and do small group work and like just leveraging the community. I really wish campuses could figure out how to do that. It's like the PTAs are, you know, having festivals and decorating doors, but I'm like, let's mobilize the parents to come in and actually help, but it just takes the intentionality. Like that's a whole role of figuring out like, how do you really plug them in effectively? But if you could figure that out of how to make it a community school where it's not like we have to hire at ratios of three to one, how do we leverage the will that's already in the the community? And, And I'm hoping that's what we hold space for next month during our visioning session, because Again, no one is coming to save us. There is no silver bullet. There is no outline for this. And I truly deeply believe that the universe is saying, we have given you everything that you need to create something. And it is going to be the awakening of Black mothers to say enough is enough. We have given our children to this system. We have these high expectations. But if you are unable to do it, then give them back to us. And we mm. have to That's so good. I love it. The Awakening of Black Mothers. I feel like that's the perfect point to end on today. I just really appreciate you coming and sharing with us. If people want to get in contact with you, if they want to learn more about Black Lotus Mothers, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. So all things social media, Chantel J. Bigby for myself, and then Black Lotus Mothers, Inc. on Instagram, Facebook, and our website.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see how this grows and blossoms as you you. You're plugged in now, girl. I'm just like, and you're not fired for me. I'm in. I'm in. Well, there you have it. Wasn't Chantel amazing? I bet if you'd never thought about homeschooling or pot learning in your life, you're sitting there like, hmm. Because she made it sound just so good. And I love that she's formed Black Lotus Mothers and she's engaging other moms and making sure that we're all connected in this work and what she's learning on this journey. I had the privilege of attending one of their first meetings this weekend and there was so much energy in that room of moms just passionate about their children, hurting from the experiences that their children had had in school. 
and wanting something better for their kids. And so I'm just so inspired and just waiting and watching to see how this grows. If after hearing this, you're thinking about supplementing your child's education and making sure that they're on track, number one, keep listening to this podcast because we're all about educating your child and making sure they have the experiences that they need. But I also have a free resource for you. I recorded a 20 minute workshop that walks you through the concept of math mastery and gives you some great resources on how to figure out where your child currently is and where they might need to grow and how to leverage the free tool Khan Academy to get them on track if they're behind or to give them opportunities to learn ahead of their grade level. I've also heard a lot of parents use Khan Academy for homeschool as part of their curriculum. And so it's something to look into if you're thinking about that as well. So I'll put a link in the show notes, or you can go to raising young achievers forward slash math mastery to access that free workshop. Kumon is also a great resource that we've used to help our son's confidence in math and for him to get stronger with his math facts. And so if you are curious about that, you can visit raising young achievers forward slash Kumon. And at the time of this recording, we have a link there where you can get $25 off. And if you use our link, we will also get $25 that will go towards helping grow the show. So check that out if you're interested in Kumon. And thanks again for tuning in. I'm so grateful to have you here, friends. Thank you.